0: Wealth Attraction Research, W-A-R, War, Money, ExercisingYourMind.com, Wealth Attraction Research, W-A-R, War, Money. You're listening to Wealth Attraction Research, W-A-R, War, Money. Presented by Hakim Alibakis-Alexander on Spreaker, Social Podcasting, Wisdom, Social Audio, Inc., and Call-In Social Podcasting. Presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium. This edition's reading focus and discussion comes to us from The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, 1886. This is going to be chapter two from book two of of Wealth of Nations, and it is titled Of Money Considered as a Particular Branch of the General Stock of the Society, or of the expense of maintaining the national capital. That's right, that long-ass title. Of money considered as a particular branch of the general stock of the society, or of the expense of maintaining the national capital. Yeah, Adam Smith, this is a long one. I've I've actually procrastinated on doing this and have gone more into the books, How Money Works and the little book of economics. I'll admit I ran away from it a little bit because I had some other chapters that I read from here, particularly the end of book one and the final chapters of there that were really tediously long. I'm hoping that in the style of Adam Smith from what I've been gathering from him from my readings is that uh, this will be a little bit more exciting to read. He has said some very interesting things in the previous book, Book One, uh, and um, it's interesting because you know he is the um, basically the founder of modern capitalism, specifically the free market capitalism. And uh, um, but he has some very strong criticisms of certain things. That it's interesting because uh, even Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in the end of uh, or from their uh, communist manifesto, actually seems like they took a lot of uh, influence from Adam Smith and some of the things they say. So in particular, at the end of book one, right? Adam Smith says this, he says, and, and he talks about dealers, right? He's talking about like business owners and things like that. So he says, the interest of the dealers, however, in any particular trade branch of trade or manufacture, is always, in some respects, different from, and even opposite to, that of the public. So you say, I mean, this is really need to pay attention to this. The interest of the dealers, however, in any particular branch of trade or manufacture, is always, in some respects, different from and even opposite to that of the public. To widen the market and to narrow the competition is always the interest of the dealers. To, to widen the market may frequently be agreeable enough to the interest of the public, but to narrow the competition must always be against it. To widen the market may frequently be agreeable enough to the interest of the public. See, he doesn't even say it's always or mostly that it may frequently be agreeable enough to the interest of the public. But to narrow the competition must always be against it and can serve only to enable the dealers by raising their profits above what they naturally would be to levy for their own benefit an absurd tax upon the rest of their fellow citizens. The proposal of any new law or regulation of commerce which comes from this order ought always to be listened to with great precaution and ought never to be adopted till after having been long and carefully examined, not only with the most scrupulous but with the most suspicious attention. It comes from an order of men whose interest is never exactly the same with that of the public, who have generally an interest to deceive and even to oppress the public, and who accordingly have, upon many occasions, both deceived and oppressed it. I, I mean, those that's very strong wording. I don't know if you, you may agree, but that's the end of, uh, of book one. You know, that's his his final words about that, and you know that comes from you know the conclusions of the chapter. There were three different sections of that, and uh, yeah, he's um, he minces no words there. But this is going to be a long one um, because I may make a lot more commentary than usual on this, um, just because it's, it's going to be long, uh, and I am. This may be the only recording that I do today. And so, um, like I said earlier, I hope that this will be something that um, is gonna be very interesting. I mean, it it always is. I've been pushing my way through this to um, really, really educate myself as much as possible. And I've come to some amazing conclusions that I will continue to be sharing on the subjects of wealth attraction research, including those that go into the other sides of the subject of, of wealth, which is could be considered to be metaphysical, paranormal, supernatural, occult, and those other things. Alchemy, for example, because what I found is that when We want to think about what a lot of people talk about, the law of attraction, and in this case, wealth attraction. You can consider it like the classical Einsteinian general theory of relativity, whereas space-time is a fabric that if you put, for example, you can look at it like putting a bowling ball, a heavy bowling ball, or even a wrecking ball, right, um, on the middle, on a trampoline, and how it will sink down to the middle and pull the fabric of the trampoline all the way down. And the, the heavier it is, it could be a bowling ball. Let's say the bowling ball is representative of earth and a wrecking ball could be the sun, right? The sun has more gravit- gravitational pull. And so the more detailed, the more financially literate and educated you are about different things, the the more useful, the more attractive, I believe, will be the use of your metaphysical means. But that's that's my speculation and opinion on the subject from my personal experience. That's my anecdotal, uh, uh, my anecdotal representation, my sharing with you of my own experience. But it just seems like the more that I know about certain inner workings of things, in, specifically in finance, economics, wealth attraction, the simpler or the more rapidly I attract to me those, those resources that I require and desire when I create certain mantras and things that I say, it really keeps me very highly tuned into the ability to to receive. So with that said, this is once again, chapter two of book two of Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. And it's titled, Of Money Considered as a Particular Branch of the General Stock of the Society or of the Expense of Maintaining the National Capital. It begins. It has been shown in the first book that the price of the greater part of commodities resolves itself into three parts, of which one pays the wages of labor, another the profits of stock, another the profits of the stock, and a third the rent of the land which had been employed in producing and bringing them to market. That there are indeed some commodities of which the price is made up of two of those parts only, the wages of labor and the profits of stock, and a very few in which it consists altogether in one, the wages of labor, but that the price of every commodity necessarily resolves itself into some one or other or all of the, these three parts, every part of which it goes neither to rent nor to wages, being necessarily profit to somebody." So, the three things to understand, right, wages of labor, we know what those are, those are what the wages go to the working class, what uh, Marx and Engels call in their book, The Communist Manifesto, the proletariat, the profits of stock and the rent of the land are what he would call the bourgeoisie, so those are the different ways people get paid by right? profits. I I like what Jim Rohn said also, though, because Jim Rohn is himself a capitalist, a Christian capitalist, but he, he says, profits are better than wages. Well, make that decision for yourself. We'll see, right? So continuing. Since this is the case, it has been observed with regard to every particular commodity taken separately. It must be so with regard to all the commodities which compose the whole annual produce of the land and labor of every country taken complexly. The whole price or exchangeable value of that annual produce must resolve itself into the same three parts and be parceled out among the different inhabitants of the country, either as the wages of their labor, the profits of their stock, or the rent of their land. But though the whole value of the annual produce of the land and labor of every country is thus divided among and constitutes a revenue to its different inhabitants, yet as in the rent of a passive, or yet as in the rent of a private estate, we distinguish between the gross rent and the neat rent, so we may likewise in the revenue of all of all the inhabitants of a great country. The gross rent of a private estate comprehends whatever is paid by the farmer. The neat rent, what remains free to the landlord. So here we can see that the gross rent means we, we know that term, like it would be gross income, right? That's before taxes are taken out. Here he's showing gross rent of a private estate comprise, comprehends whatever is paid by the farmer. The neat rent, right, is what remains free to the landlord after deducting the expense of management, of repairs and, uh, and all other necessary charges or what, without hurting his estate, he can afford to place in his stock reserved for immediate consumption or to spend upon his table equipage, the ornaments of his house and furniture, his private enjoyments and amusement. His real wealth is in proportion not to his gross but to his neat rent. So now we can see the word neat here. Um, You have gross income and then you have, uh, what's the other term that we use? Once you, once your income is, um, is you have uh, gross income and then we have what? Net income, right? So he's calling it neat here. So we can remember it like that, right? Net neat. Net and neat are similar or the same here as he's using it. Continuing, the gross revenue of all the inhabitants of a great country comprehends the whole annual produce of their land and labor. The neat revenue, what remains free to them after deducting the expense of maintaining, first, their fixed, and secondly, their circulating capital, or what, without encroaching upon their capital, they can place in their stock reserved for immediate consumption or spend on their subsistence, conveniences, and amusements. Their real wealth, too, is in proportion not to their gross, but to their neat revenue. So this should make sense to everybody so far, right? That we know that we have gross income and net income. Your net income is what is left over after you pay your taxes and expenses of all kinds. And here's including everything um, your rent, your food, your clothes, all your subsistence is what he's referring to it as. So, and then, interestingly enough, in the psychology of money uh, by Morgan Housel or Housel, um, he defines wealth. In an interesting way, too, and in the assets that you do not spend, the money that you do not spend, that which you know how to hold on, that which you know how to delay your gratification so that you can use your wealth for living your life to the best. And, you know, again, delayed gratification is the key there. Um, how much do you have left over? Because being wealthy is not about how much money you make, it's about how much you keep and are able to invest into living your best life. Continuing. So the whole expense of maintaining the fixed capital must evidently be excluded from the neat revenue of the society. Neither the materials necessary for supporting their useful machines and instruments of trade, their profitable buildings, etc., nor the product of the labor necessary for fashioning those materials into the proper form can ever make any part of it the whole expense of maintaining the fixed capital must evidently be excluded from the neat revenue of the society. Neither the materials necessary for supporting their useful machines and instruments of trade, their profitable buildings, etc., nor the product of the labor necessary for fashioning those materials into the proper form can ever make any part of it. Hmm. The price of that labor may indeed make a part of it as the workmen so employed may place the whole value of their wagers in their stock reserved for immediate consumption. But in other sorts of labor, both the price and produce go to this stock. The price to that of the workmen, the produce to that of other people, whose subsistence, conveniences, conveniences is the word he uses, and amusements are augmented by the labor of those workmen. The intention of the fixed capital is to increase the productive powers of labor, or to enable the same number of laborers to perform much a much greater quantity of work. In a farm where all the necessary buildings, fences, drains, communications, etc are in the most perfect good order, the same number of laborers and laboring cattle will raise a much greater produce than in one of equal extent and equally good ground, but not furnished with equal conveniencies. In manufacturers, um, in this word manufacturers, um, manufacturers, you can replace that word with factories. Um, In manufacturers, the same number of hands assisted with the best machinery will work up a much greater quantity of goods than with more imperfect instruments of trade. The expense, which is properly laid out upon a fixed capital of any kind, is always repaid with great profit and increases the annual produce by a much greater value than that of the support, with which, which, uh, support which such improvements require. This support, however, still requires a certain portion of that produce, a certain quantity of materials, and the labor of a certain number of workmen, both of which m- might have been immediately employed to augment the food, clothing, and lodging The subsistence and conveniencies of the society are thus diverted to another employment. Hmm. A Certain quality of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen, both of which might have been immediately employed to augment the food, clothing, and lodging, the subsistence and conveniencies of the society are thus diverted to another employment. Highly advantageous indeed, but still different from this one. It is upon this account that, all such improvements in mechanics as enabled the same number of workmen to perform an equal quantity of work with cheaper and simpler machinery than had been usual before are always regarded as advantageous to every society basically saying technology is advantageous to society in general right um which brings me to a point because a lot of people are talking about this right about how ai and other technology is going to put a bunch of people out of work and things like that but um I did have some close contact when I was living in California with an organization called the Zeitgeist Movement. And you've probably seen the Zeitgeist movie, Movies, and I actually performed in the fourth annual Zeitgeist Media Festival, um, where it was held in North Hollywood, California. And one of the things that that uh, Peter Joseph, the founder of the Zeitgeist Movement, and the producer of the Zeitgeist Movies, talks about, and also um, Jacques uh, Fresco, uh, if you look at his... Um, his designs for these hub cities and things like that, the Venus Project, what they talk about is that the technology may displace people from certain jobs, but that it will provide other jobs for people. I mean, I'm of that understanding so far because no matter how much technology you have, you're always going to need the people who are maintaining the machines and new jobs will be created as long as people are paying attention to and doing their best to keep up with it. This is not to say that there aren't unfair things in it going on, but um, there will always be something created. However, in what most people are seeing today in their own lives and things like that, is far removed from any new opportunities uh, being created or any advantages that they can take. So it's not that I'm naive or unaware of that, too. There's a huge divide between what incomes people are earning and what other people are doing, which, you know, like in Robert Kiyosaki's book called Fake, it's it's called Fake Money, Fake Teachers, and Fake Assets, how lies are keeping the poor and middle class poorer, right? So we understand that those things are there, but this information, I I am working to help serve to start changing those things by also applying it myself and making certain things happen, and also supporting other people, um, both in their own understanding, education, as well as basic simple things like food, shelter, and clothing, which sometimes if we have a little bit of excess, no matter how little it is, sometimes we can do. And we don't do it for everybody, right? Because some people are just downright um, so miserable that no matter how you help, try to help them or talk to them, they just spit it back in your face, um, which is pretty sad. Um, I, I know that that's happened to me. A lot of people have, that I've either helped before or that asked me for help have, they, uh, you know, I, I, so I know that in some cases I may be difficult to understand my communication style, but I have to completely master my time. I didn't design my life so that I can be have my time sucked away by time vampires and people's things. Like if you, if you ask me for something and I agree to help, then it's probably a good idea to um, maybe follow some instructions or – or um, help out with some of the things that I ask, which are, which by the way, the things that I've I've hired people to for or or paid them in advance for, are are not so-called blue collar or like hard labor anything. I I've asked people to help me with administrative and uh, thought-based decision-making projects, and you know I just had I've had people just I've, I did one person in particular I've paid thousands of dollars and they never did. A single bit of work a, a couple of people because they needed advances and advances and finally i just had to say you know what i can't deal with you anymore anyway i'm getting off the subject of the book i want to continue reading this here um a certain quantity of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen which had before been employed in supporting a more complex and expensive machinery can afterwards be applied to augment the quality or quantity of work that Uh, uh, which that must, let me go back a little bit, I feel like I missed something. All right, Um, I'm going to say right here, good, yeah, I'll start there again. So a certain quantity of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen, which had before been employed in supporting a more complex and expensive machinery, can afterwards be applied to augment the quality or quantity of work, which that or any other machinery is useful only for performing. The undertaker of some great manufactory, again there's that word manufactory which you just take the manu off and it's factory, right, the undertaker of some great manufactory who employs a thousand a year in the maintenance of his machinery, if he can reduce this expense to 500, will naturally employ the other 500 in purchasing an additional quantity of materials to be wrought up by an additional number of workmen. The quantity of that work, therefore, with his machinery was useful only for performing, will naturally be augmented, and with it all the advantage and conveniency which the society can derive from that work. How am I still receiving tips right now? I'm not even working. That's funny. The expense of of maintaining the fixed capital in a great country may very properly be compared to that of repairs in a private estate, Hmm. Okay, so we have an interesting analogy being made here. The expense of maintaining the fixed capital in a great country may very properly be compared to that of repairs in a private estate. I always like looking at these kind of comparisons and analogies because it might direct us to some points of interest in our private affairs, right? Our our personal finance. Because comparing maintaining the fixed capital in a great country with that of repairs in a private estate. Continuing, the expense of repairs may frequently be necessary for supporting the produce of the estate and, sub- and consequently both the gross and the neat rent of the landlord. So remember neat is another word for net, right? So gross income, net income. When by a more proper direction, however, it can be diminished without occasioning any diminution of produce, the gross rent remains at least the same as before and the neat rent is necessarily augmented. And augmented is improved, right? So he's saying when by a more proper direction, it can be diminished. He's talking about the, the expenses, right? When the expenses can be diminished without occasioning any diminution of produce. So when you can reduce your expenses but increase that which you're able to produce right the gross rent remains at least the same as before so even though the your gross is coming in the same as before the amount that's coming into you as, as rent or income or wages and i'm using those interchangeably here even though he's not saying that but this is just a key example of personal finance stuff here right sure. so by basically saying by being more efficient with your output your expenses even though you might be getting the same amount, right, the neat rent is necessarily augmented, meaning your net is necessarily augmented. What you net out of all that, it's a simple equation of, of income minus expenses. And if you can reduce your expenses by whatever means possible, right? because not everyone thinks uh, that they can do that in the same way, not necessarily living below your means, which is one of the advice given in the book, for example, The Millionaire Next Door, and even to some extent in the psychology of money. But the opposite is is given by Robert Kiyosaki, where he says, don't look to, to live below your means and reduce your lifestyle. Robert Kiyosaki says to ask yourself a question instead of making a statement. The statement he says most people make is, I can't afford it, which he says, cuts off all thinking and creativity, where he says, if you ask yourself the question, how can I afford it? He says, then you open up more uh, possibility by at least exploring different options. But those are a couple of different, sometimes opposing perspectives there. One of living below your means and saving. And the other one says, no, figure out other ways to create business or other income opportunities um, by being more efficient. They're both about efficiency. They're just different ways of being efficient. Continuing. But though the whole expense of maintaining the fixed capital is thus necessarily excluded from the neat revenue of the society, it is not the same case with that of maintaining the circulating capital. Of the four parts of which this latter capital is composed, money, provisions, materials, and finished work, the three last, it has already been observed, are regularly withdrawn from it and placed either in the fixed capital of the society or in their stock reserved for immediate consumption. Whatever portion, of those consumable goods is not employed in maintaining the former goes all to the latter and makes a part of the neat revenue of the society. The neat revenue of the society. The maintenance of those three parts of the circulating capital therefore withdraws no portion of the annual produce from the neat revenue of the society besides what is necessary for maintaining the fixed capital. And so remember the fixed capital is Um, those things that stay in the hands of one owner on one property, whereas circulating capital are those things that go out and change form and come back. So circulating capital. Continuing, the circulating capital of society is in this respect different from that of an individual. That of an individual is totally excluded from making any part of his neat revenue. Remember, again, I have to repeat it because I'm reminding myself as well. Neat is another word for net as I've figured out or think that I figured out so far on this reading, that of an individual is totally excluded from making any part of his neat revenue which must consist altogether in his profits. But though the circulating capital of every individual makes a part of that of the society to which he belongs, it is not upon that account totally excluded from making a part likewise of their neat revenue. Though the whole goods in a merchant's shop must by no means be placed in his own stock reserved for immediate consumption. they may, in that of other people who, from a revenue derived from other funds, may regularly pray, replace their value to him together with its profits, without occasioning any diminution either of his capital or of theirs, of his capital or of theirs. Money, therefore, is the only part of the circulating capital of a society. Of which the maintenance can occasion any diminution in their neat revenue. Hmm. Money, therefore, is the only part of the circulating capital of a society of which the maintenance can occasion any diminution in their neat revenue. Hmm. Maintenance can occasion any diminution in their neat revenue, right, so the only part of the circulating capital of a society, right, so the reven- so the, the maintenance, which is the expenses used to maintain uh, things, any expenses, takes away from their net income, their neat revenue, okay. Continuing, the fixed capital and that part of the circulating capital, which consists in money, so far as they affect the revenue of the society, bear a very great resemblance to one another. First, as those machines and instruments of trade just got a call on my other, all right, good. I have to just reject that call, I I don't recognize that number, what the hell is that? Take a look at it real quick. I don't think it could be that important. Nobody ever calls me because um, I don't answer my phone. So, but let's see. Uh, hmm. I don't know that number. All right. Doesn't look familiar. All right. So let's see. All right. So first, as those machines and instruments of trade, etc., require a certain expense, first to erect them, and afterwards to support them, both... Which expenses, though they make a part of the gross, are deductions from the meat revenue of the society. So the stock of money which circulates in any country must require a certain expense first to collect it, and afterwards to support it. Both which expenses, though they make a part of the gross, are, in the same manner, deductions from the meat revenue of the society. A certain quantity of very valuable materials, gold and silk. Okay, I'm gonna answer. What is